I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Basketball's coming back. We're a couple of days closer. I'm joined by my boy, my good friend, my co-host, Mr. Tim Shields. Tim, what's up? How you living? Doing all right, man. Just enjoying the uh, afternoon here on Sunday. It's evening for me. It's 11.20 p.m. What we've got in store for you today is we're going to be looking at different scenarios that can come during the next offseason after the playoffs have finished based on how we see the Celtics perform, whether that be, do they get destroyed by a big man? If so, how are they going to pivot? What if Romeo shows out? So we're going to dive straight in. So Tim, how do you feel like, okay, so let's, let's go into the presum- assumption that the Celtics get beat by the Sixers and it's because Embiid has an absolute stormer of a series. If that was to happen and say it's Cantor gets exposed, we, we learn that Rob Williams can't bang down low with somebody or we learn that Rob Williams is limited when closing out on the perimeter. How do you think that affects what the Celtics do come draft time? And do they make a trade? Do they try and trade out? What are you expecting to see? I would expect more than anything to see a move up and maybe do a consolidation of either a future pick or one of their later picks this year to try and get somebody to help shore up their bench. Big thing for me, I think, from a Celtics perspective is you need to try and find somebody who can help spell Daniel Tice's minutes. So you've seen this emergence from Daniel Tice. We really don't know what we're going to get in the playoffs from him. You know he's been playing really, really great basketball this year. Very, very efficient from the floor, doing a lot of things for you um, that show up on the stat sheet and some things that don't, just the intangibles. But that being said, if you're looking at potentially losing to the 76ers and you have Embiid going off on you, the clear and present danger is the fact that you don't have enough depth behind Daniel Tice. So I would probably look in the draft and see if there is a guy. I know we've gushed a lot about Okongwu, but trying to find a big that can help you not only compete now, but also grow with your core, be a part of your team for the long term, And also maybe, maybe you go out and you acquire someone who's on a, you know, a lesser deal via trading one of your late first round picks. Maybe you try and see if you can go out and get, you know, Massachusetts native and Maryland's Noel to try and provide something off the bench. But there's a lot of question marks around Robert Williams, long-term health. So that might kind of drive the Celtics to try and, trade for somebody or trade up in this draft in order to try and shore up that position. Because honestly, if you don't know what's going to happen with Ennis Kanter's contract, or if he gets a really, really rough series versus the 76ers, that really might make the Celtics take a closer look at their big man spot. If we move on from saying, okay, so in my opinion, if the Celtics do get hurt and it's due to a big such as Embiid, using Embiid as an example, then they do need to make a trade, whether that's... But they need to move some of those bigs first as well. You can't be bringing in another big when you've already got four bigs under contract next season if you operate under the assumption that Daniel Tice is going to be re-signed because at the moment he's technically going onto the market at the end of this season. So operating under the assumption that he comes back, you've got Tice, Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Vincent Poirier and Dennis Cantor. So if you're going to be making any move for another big, then you need to be sure that you can reduce your plethora of big men before the season resumes. If that was the case, then I feel like draft is going to be the best place to do it. Wiseman could be a good target due to his defensive power prowess. You know, he's seven foot one. He's got a big body, but he showed 
lack of strength during his very short collegiate game. Akangaroo is another guy. But then if we look at, okay, so what if it's not a big that causes the problem? What if it's the bench? What if they make it past Philly, but then come to the Bucks and just really struggle to break down that second unit against Milwaukee due to the lack of creativity that comes off that bench? Because I feel like just as much as the firepower is an issue, having a guy that can score consistently on the bench, having a creative force as well, a guy that can make his own shot, that can run a pick and roll, that's also another point of emphasis that's lacking currently coming off the Celtics bench. How do you see them pivoting if that's the case, the reason that they don't make it out of the East? I think you're pointing out the clear and obvious. There's not a lot of offensive firepower coming off that bench. You know, I ended up looking at some statistics today and just looking at how overall the Celtics are performing. Uh, a lot of the reason why the Celtics are where they are is because they're an elite defensive team. They force turnovers. They are capable of getting steals and blocks at a very high level. But in terms of assists and in terms of just taking good shots, they're not there. And your offensive firepower really comes down to your usual core five. If you don't include Daniel Tice, this is your core five of Walker, Brown, Tatum, Gordon, and Smart. That's where a lot of your offensive capabilities are coming from. And really, if one of those guys is in your starting lineup and the other one's coming off the bench, that helps some solve some of your problems. But at the same time, you're also looking at a situation with uh, Jason and Jalen's kind of emergencies and trying to develop them more. And then you also have a guy like Romeo Langford. I don't know how he factors into that equation long-term too. But if you're the Celtics, I try and find some cheap shooting, whether that be through the draft, I mean, if there's a guy that you think is going to be a pure shooter, maybe you try and move for a guy like Devin Vassell or Vassell. We always get confused with this if it's Vassell or Vassell. But he's a guy who is just a straight-up bucket. Or maybe you try and draft and stash a guy for a year and see if he can come over. Um, we've talked about Popotenko, I think is his name, um, the big over in Europe. But the point being is, is that you need some more offensive scoring. My big thing here is if you can get some scoring with some size, somebody who's capable of shooting the three, stretching the floor. One guy that I've come back to time and time again, who I think right now after having a down year is going to be really, really low cost on the market. You probably are going to get him in on like a one and one deal on very low money is Dario Saric. I loved Dario Saric. I was a really big fan of him um, when he was with Philly. He was always a guy that killed us, and he's very capable of shooting the threes. He, he's had a very down year with the Suns, but he's a guy that I think, not if Daniel Tice walks, but, I mean, he could be a guy that you add if you move on from Anna Scanner or Anna Scanner opts out, or if you have a situation where you can consolidate, you know, picks and a guy like Vincent Poirier or another bench piece to try and move up in the draft. That can also be like a lateral move that you make at the same time. I think he's a guy that's young who adds a lot in terms of shooting. Sarich is, I've always been a fan of him. I'm hoping that the Celtics try and make a move for him, but I don't know. He, he, right now, I think for him, I mean, he went from going from Philly to, well, did he get traded to Minnesota? You got traded to Minnesota in that deal, right? Yeah, he spent 68 games in Minnesota. And then he ended up with the Suns. So being with the Suns after playing in Philly uh, probably gives you a little bit of perspective. And I think right now he's one of those guys that is a classic bench ad who ends up boosting his value and then hitting free agency and trying to get a bigger contract. So maybe that's the situation. He's still very young. 
still very capable player. I think just maybe in the situation he was in with Phoenix, he probably wasn't being maximized for his potential. Well, so far over his career, he's doing 12, 12 points, six and a half rebounds and two assists per game. Shooting for just under a shade under 36% from deep as well. So he's definitely a modern day floor stretching big. Is that what they need though? Again, you still, if you do that, you still need to shorten that big rotation that's already there. You can't be bringing him in at the expense of somebody else. Like one of the first questions you need to ask yourself is does Wanamaker resign? Are they bringing Wanamaker back? I'm against that. I like Wanamaker. I think that what he brings to the table is a steady hand, but he also doesn't bring the creativity or that explosiveness off the bench that can change a game. If they're looking for someone like that, and again, it's in the draft, for me, it's Kira Lewis. That John Wall level speed, somebody that can come on and really slice defenses open just due to straight up pace. But that isn't going to be enough either to shore up a bench under the assumption it's the bench that's the reason the Celtics are knocked out of the playoffs this year. We're operating on what-ifs here all the way through. So then, So then what do you do? How do you, sh- what can you do to shore up that bench? Because realistically, you're going to need to add a floor stretching big, a new guard that's able to score, and you're going to want, this is what I'd, I'd say they'd need. And then you're going to want to see growth off Romeo as a, not just a slasher, but as a pull-up jump shooter too. Romeo, to me, strikes as one of the biggest X factors on that bench over the next two to three years. If he can develop solid ball handling skills, respectable passing game, start hitting some pull-up jump shots, as well as continue to play that defense at the level he's been playing at, then he could be a real X factor coming off the bench for the Celtics during runs over the next few seasons. But they need to put more creativity around him and that, to me, has been the biggest issue for the Celtics on the bench this entire season. Once that first unit sits, especially when there's been injuries so there hasn't been a, an ability to stagger those guys, everything stagnates because the talent level drop-off is quite significant. Well, I think that's where they really get hurt, you know, because with everything with Gordon Hayward, you know, you've been forced to put Marcus Smart in your starting lineup. And with that kind of situation, even with concerns with Kemba, too, if Kemba's got health concerns you've had to kind of get crazy with your lineups and figuring out what pieces work and what pieces don't with the situation. I think that they should go into, I think, I think Brad, I agree with you. I think Brad Wanamaker walks or they let him walk. I think that they end up letting Tremont waters. I think they convert him into a contract player as opposed to a two way. And you see him get some more minutes. I think he brought a lot of energy He's still not going to be necessarily a game changer, but I think he's a very solid bench player and he's a guy that can at least help you there. I think, as you said, I think they need more offensive creativity. The one thing that they get really hurt by is the fact that, as you said, without offensive creativity off the bench, they're not getting as many assists. They're not moving the ball as much. And if your bench unit's coming in and you don't have a lot of great shooters, you need to find the best way possible to get those guys in a position to score. So you need someone who's going to be able to move with the ball, who's going to be able to create for other people. What I'm really watering it down to is you need a really solid bench point guard, whether that be Marcus Smart or Tremont Waters, if you think he's going to reach that potential, or do you go out and you get another guy off free agency, or do you move up in the draft to get a guy like Kira Lewis, or if you go all in and move all your picks and try and somehow get a guy like Tyrese Halliburton. Trying to go out and get another point guard to come off your bench and maybe be the heir apparent to Kemba whenever his time comes 
you know, is crucial. I think you have to think about long ball here as well as short game. You have to think about a guy who's going to help raise your ceiling right now, prevent your bench from completely bottoming out when you don't have one of your core five in that group. That's really what it's going to come down to because so far we really haven't been able to see what this team is like at full strength. And I think outside of those core five guys I named earlier, if any of those guys are down, it immediately screws up your bench unit because you don't have one of them to help solidify it offensively, whether it be smart or Hayward going on with the bench unit. Like one of those guys basically is like the anchor. He's the one who moves the ball around. You've got people who are looking to him to show leadership in order to figure out where the ball needs to go in order to try and get the best shot or be that offensive shot taker on the bench unit. I think they really need another shooter and they need another guy who can move the ball around for them. Cause other than that, their bench just gets too stagnant. So here's the question. Are you comfortable with Marcus Smart being the primary scorer off a bench? Because I'm not. No matter how good his free ball is, I want his offense to be secondary to his defense. His defense always has to be his primary focus for me. He can't, he can't be the offensive shot taker. And I think we've, caught, we've talked about it before, but he's just, for what he's supposed to be, he just takes too many, way too many shots. I think specifically three ball. He takes more three-ball shots than a lot of other guys. You'd be surprised at how many shots he takes. And I understand, like, the, the mindset of it. And Marcus has come out and talked about this before, too, where as a player, in order to get the defense to respect you, like when you have the ball in your hands, you need to not be able – you need to not be afraid to shoot the ball. So you can't, you can't hesitate. You can't hesitate to shoot the three because as soon as you start doing that, defenses start – you know, relaxing on you and focusing on double teaming the other offensive weapon on the floor. That being said, he, he just is too three happy sometimes. And there's nights where he gets really on and he's just burying him, but he doesn't, he doesn't shoot enough or well enough for it to make sense for him to be that primary guy. I don't think he's ever going to be that primary offensive guy, nor should he be. I think he should be always the distributor. He works really well off ball but he, he should never be the primary ball handler if he keeps shooting like that. I just don't think it's the best for the team. Yeah, so he's took 6.9 three-point attempts per game along with five two-point attempts per game. Just a shade under 12 shot attempts per game. For me, that's slightly too high what you want to see Marcus doing. The reason I bring this up is because one player we haven't mentioned originally drafted to be scoring off the bench is Carson Edwards. Terrible showing during his few NBA games. The only team he seems to show out against is Cleveland. It's not too hard to show out against Cleveland, but that seems to be the only like he has a good night. The rest of the times, it's been quite difficult for him. But then, like you said, you could always let Wanna Make a Walk convert Tremont Waters to being your primary ball handler off the bench, run Smart at the two guard off the bench, have somebody like Edwards willing to plug the gap if Smart needs a few minutes rest before he goes back in with the first unit, depending on matchups. I just can't see Carson Edwards being capable of providing a reliable scoring punch off the bench not so soon after a bad show in this season I feel like another year remain kind of calls for Carson or even a new scenery sometimes it's just the team you're on he feels like a high usage guy we spoke about this about Rozier previously as well I don't know if that was on this podcast or one of our previous ones but it was definitely like Rozier plays well when he has consistent minutes and he has the ball in his hands now, I feel like that's going to be the same for Carson too, which isn't what he's going to get in Boston. If they call up Tremont Waters, then all you really need for them to find in the offseason is some added firepower, whether that be through Dario Saric or Halliburton strikes me as a Danny Ainge type of pick due to that broken looking jump shot. But Halliburton's definitely a good call as well. And then there's other guys hitting the free agency market. 
or he might package some picks up and just pick up like a low cost guy that's just a, a scorer, you know. So then we move on. So we've looked at what happens if it's the bench that ruins it. What happens if it's a big that doesn't work? So let's look at some positives now. What if Romeo Langford has a breakout playoff series and he really shows out, earns added minutes next year? Do you think that decreases the worry of Gordon Haywood opting in long term? Do you think that kind of changes the Celtics' train of thought around Gordon Haywood? I think in some ways, yeah. I think when you look at the situation contract-wise, you know we've seen articles come out saying the Celtics are most likely going to offer uh, Jason Tatum the max, which uh, I think that really shouldn't be like, oh, they're most likely going to. They're probably – no, they're going to offer him the max. They're going to give him the franchise. That's what this is going to be. Let's not have any shades of doubt about it. He's going to get paid. Um, but when you look at the contract situations, you know, you're going to have Kemba Walker on a max deal. You're going to have Jalen Brown on that extension um, with good money too. So – if you're looking at another max extension, that's three max contracts. If Gordon Hayward opts in, that's another max contract, about $30 million, depending on where the salary cap is. That's, that is the one thing I would be concerned about just because I don't – max contracts are percentages of the salary cap, so I don't know if there's going to be anything funky going on with that due to COVID. But that being said, there's not too many teams that sport for max guys. And that put aside – I don't know if I want to put another max contract on a wing. I would much rather try and put more money towards a big man, someone of a higher caliber than Daniel Tice. Not that Daniel Tice is bad, but someone who's going to bring a different skill set to the table. Gordon Hayward does everything in basketball really, really well. He's kind of like one of those multi-two players who, who does all of the little things they need him to do. And he's a very capable scorer, very capable ball handler, solid defensively. And he's a good leader. So that being said, I, I think if you have Romeo Lankford coming in and having a good playoff experience, showing out and showing us what we drafted him for, I think that does allow you to move on from Gordon Hayward. I don't know if the Celtics would do that, but given the situation with the contracts and everything going on with salary cap, I think you do see Gordon Hayward opt in for this final year. I don't see him restructuring right now unless we get a little bit more clarity on that cap situation. I think he gets movable. I think he becomes movable just simply because you look at that roster crunch, you look at how many wings you have, you look at this emergence from Jason Tatum, especially in February. He was putting up absurd numbers, and I don't know what he's going to be coming back to in terms of you know what we're going to see at the end of July as we get into this shortened postseason, but there's a lot to like there from what you're seeing from these young guys. And it, that unfortunately makes Gordon Hayward expendable. And if you get a guy like Romeo Langford to come in and provide anything, if at all off the bench as a rookie, especially a rookie who hasn't gotten a lot of playing time to develop. Yeah. Unfortunately it does make a situation with Gordon Hayward a little bit clearer for the Celtics. Yeah, the thing with Romeo is people forget that he's like a basketball God back in Indiana, especially for high school hoops is a phenomenally large part of their socialect they very much love their high school basketball he then went to college and balled out too he's come to the nba he started to earn minutes when gordon hayward was on this podcast with me a few weeks ago he said that he feels like romeo is going to have a big career he's going to have a long career in the league if romeo shows out in this playoffs and carries that form into next season and continues to build on that that showing out then i think it does give 
the Celtics a little bit more to think about in terms of do we do we try and re-sign Gordon or do we have Romeo who's going to be able to offer us a similar skill set long term on a more cost-controlled deal? The only problem there is if Hayward walks, for me that like drastically alters the Celtics championship outlook. I feel like he ups in this year. I don't want to be too too confident about that because every Celtics fan was fairly confident that Horford was going to opt in or he was going to opt out and restructure. And then he ended up in Philadelphia. So I don't want to be like, Hayward's going to opt in. I can't see no reason why. I felt like that last year about our Horford. It didn't work out. I was heartbroken. I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. But if Romeo shows out, I do think that Danny Ainge then has a different type of thought process going into next season. If he carries on that level of play, then that thought process is going to be a very difficult decision because if you re-sign Hayward to a long-term deal, you're basically consigning Romeo to constricted minutes off the bench. You can't have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward and Romeo all getting solid minutes and it's Romeo's growth that will suffer from there. So depending on how he plays, if he does have a breakout, that's a very difficult decision for the front office. I think it also gets a little bit clearer, as you said. I think it with the whole opting in for another year versus opting out and re-signing, given the financial uncertainty and also Hayward's injury, I think it's like a 50-50 coin flip that he opts in versus opting out and signing for a longer deal. But once again, like with this timetable pushed back the way it is, where we're going to see the NBA Finals wrap up as late as as October 12th, you know, that changes the situation drastically. We still don't know the full ramifications of what's going to happen with that salary cap. And the Celtics, as we've talked about before, if Gordon Hayward walks, they really have zero flexibility. There's not going to be much that they can do in terms of free agents. They're not going to go after any more big fish. You're, you're not going to see them try and swing any other big deals. If you have a guy like Romeo Langford, who's still on that rookie skill contract, and he starts showing out for you, and you think you've got something there, he potentially gives you options down the line to kind of help bolster what you've already got with that duo of Tatum and Brown. It gives you a little bit more stability, and I've come back to this point time and time again. If you drafted him in the lottery, why aren't you playing him? Why aren't you giving him enough time to develop? It's a waste of a pick if you're going to go ahead and draft a lottery talent and then not give him that time to develop. So I, I think when they drafted him, I think there was a couple mindsets. It was, one, he was the best player available in their eyes. They also, two, were getting some kind of insurance in case you had a situation with Gordon Hayward where he decides to opt out and walk in free agency. That being said, there's still not going to be a lot of teams that have a lot of money to throw around. He's at an age right now where he is going to want financial security and also be able to contend. So that circle gets really, really small. Because you need, one, a team that can pay him, and two, uh, an environment in which he can succeed. We've talked about Indiana before potentially being a trade target, talking about their various bigs between Sabonis and Turner. So I think it's far more likely we see Hayward opt in, barring some massive implosion in the playoffs. Because we've seen that, as we talked about with Horford, you know, Horford was ready to opt out and resign. And I think everything with Kyrie just made him sour entirely. And then when he talked about the Kemba Walker signing and everything, he said, well, if I had known about that, maybe things would have been different. You know, that would have changed the situation. So without him really going into the words, and this is just me 
taking an observer's view on that. I think Horford would have stayed if he'd known that Kemba Walker was going to for sure 100% sign here, which also just changes the Celtics cap situation entirely as well. But outside of that, outside of just hearsay and conjecture, I feel like it's in the Celtics' best interest to try and see what they can do outside of Gordon Hayward. I think him opting in gives them a little bit of flexibility, and if they can come to an agreement with the team, I think they pull a trade for a big. I think they pull a trade for a big that's going to be young and on a contract extension somewhere in the mid to late teens in terms of financial money just to try and alleviate some of the cap issues they're going to run into once we get this extension on the books for Jason Tatum. You have to think long ball. You have to think about how long we keep this window open for. And I think getting a, getting a guy like Gordon Hayward in the room is great, but also getting someone else who brings a different skill set to the table is going to make all the difference. And right now I think the biggest thing the Celtics are going to need is a all-star level big to try and help solidify what they've already got. And, you know, whether they hold on to Daniel Tice or not, they still need to make a move there. So when you were talking about Horford and he would have remained, I remember just after he left, I had a conversation with Anna Horford asking her what his thought process was, what was going on there. She said Al made a decision based on the ability to win championships. Now he's not getting much younger. He wanted to put himself in a winning position. Nobody could have foreseen Jalen and Jason both taking this level of jump this season following what we'd seen from them last year. Obviously, Al wasn't privy to the information that Kemba Walker was going to be on his way, as you said. So when I spoke to Anna, she made it very clear that Al made that decision for him. I've got no ill will towards that. When you bring up moving Hayward for a big, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, Hayward's on the books for one year at 30 mil. So if you're moving Hayward... You either need to salary match or the other team needs to have one skyrocket level trade exception to absorb that contract and not send as much money back to Boston. If you're bringing multiple players back, then multiple players have to go out and hope the Celtics get to a point where it's a high level big and then a couple of a guy or two guys on short term contracts so that money falls off the book. Who's going to be willing to make that level deal for Hayward on an expiring contract? I mean, a $30 million expiring contract is quite palatable to teams on the rebuild. It's a really good way of bringing somebody in and then shedding that salary at the end of the year to open up the books. How many teams are going to be interested in talking to Danny Ainge when a a contract of that size is on the table? I'm not sure. Would that alienate Brad Stevens? You have to start considering these things. Another thing to worry about when we're talking about cap is Marcus Smart's entering the last two years of his deal. So if if Hayward does... finish next season and then re-sign. The following season, you've got to worry about Marcus Smart. And then a season or two later, it's back to Jalen Brown. So managing these five guys and their contracts and then trying to keep a contending core around them is going to become much more difficult. They're going to be a tax-paying team. Then they're going to be paying repeat attacks. And that's going to keep going north as these players keep expediting and expanding their earning potential on the floor. We've kind of gone down a rabbit hole here. (laughs) We absolutely have. (laughs) So um, I'm going to head off to break. When we come back, we'll do some more what-ifs. I felt like Alice in Wonderland, man. We went right down that rabbit hole. Yeah, the salary cap and trade talk is just, just, just opening up so many different boxes. So what if the Celtics make it to the finals and then lose by a game they take it to game seven they they find their way past the Bucks. they meet the Lakers or the Clippers 
take it all the way to game seven and then fall short? How do they pivot going into a draft where they have three or four draft picks if you count the second round draft pick they have? Then they have to make room for these rookies or they have to kind of strike a deal. How do they pivot to keep the core intact as well as some of the bench core as well? You know, keep Daniel Tice around, keep Ennis Cantor around. Because Cantor's on a player option too. He can opt in or opt out. Uh, Semi Ojale could be done at the end of this year too. There's so many variables. If the Celtics were made, make it to the finals and lose by a shade, then how do they pivot? It's the same question, actually, if they win. It's the same question, whether they win or they lose. If they make it to the finals, what sort of maneuvers do you expect them to make to keep this majority of this team intact to have another run next year? I think without question, if you look at it from a perspective of if they lose, you have to look at where, what did they excel at? What were the exact reasons why they lose? Was it a matchup with the Lakers and AD just goes off? Or is it a situation where they go against the Rockets and they're just not able to keep up offensively? So I think it really depends. I think, honestly, with the situation with their salary situation, looking at picks, pick consolidation has always been my go-to. When it comes down to it, pick consolidation is going to happen whether it's, you know, they win the finals or they lose the finals or they get knocked out in the first round. They just have too many bodies and they don't have a lot of flexibility with that. So it either involves, you know, dumping a player in a pick or two in order to try and get a guy who's going to immediately come in and be, you know, a scorer off the bench or be a ball handler off the bench. So looking at that situation, I think it just, if they end up winning and it's a matter of keeping everybody together, it always comes back to Gordon Hayward. It's always going to come back to Gordon Hayward because of that size of that contract. I don't know if he's ever going to take, you know, less money for more years, if you can get him into that kind of situation, but that's all really optimistic. I also, as you mentioned before we hit break with Marcus Smart, you know, that's another one, you know, we've talked about his shortcomings in terms of, you know, taking too many shots, too many looks for what you want from him and his offensive game kind of impeding on what he already does defensively and all those other little things that make Marcus Smart Marcus Smart. So if I look at that situation, looking at the money that has to be moved around, I could see them holding on to a player like Marcus Smart over a player like Gordon Hayward, just because the sheer amount of money you're going to have to pay Gordon Hayward to keep him around, that just complicates things in terms of flexibility. I think you can see a pick consolidation and maybe an opt-in, but it also comes down to a team who's willing to take on that kind of contract. I also just don't think the Celtics are ready to have another player, another high profile player, just walk in free agency. I think with that situation with Hayward and Ky- or uh, Horford and Kyrie really, really burned the bad. And I just don't think they're ready for that kind of heartbreak. Again, I know the fans aren't, I am not ready for it. So I've always been pro trade versus letting a guy walk. And, you know, that's the business. There's nothing I've got that disagree with anything you've said. You look at what you, you take stock of what you did well. You take stock of what you didn't do great that led to you losing. Or even if you win and you end up leaving with a chip, you still take stock of where can we shore up for next season. For me, it's a really precarious situation the Celtics find themselves in. A bunch of draft picks so they can add cost-controlled youth to the bench. But then a bunch of guys on very large contracts. Marcus Smart isn't classed as a large contract, but to me, he feels like the one player that makes the most sense to trade in terms of finances, but is the least 
it's the most nonsensical guy to trade in terms of performance off the bench, what he means to the fans, what he means to that team. For me, he's the Celtics version, and I've said this before, he's the Celtics version of championship Golden State's Draymond Green. Does that I make think sense? that's fair. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Fires the guys up. He, he's very much Draymond on a championship team. He's the sort of guy you want to bring in to really make sure, hold everybody accountable and to make sure nobody's getting bullied on the floor. You know Marcus Smart's going to be fly kicking in. So when you're looking at that, it's a very precarious situation. Another what if I've got for you is what if the Celtics choke? What sort of pressure does that put on Brad Stevens following last year's diabolical playoff run? And then they come into this year. And then if they choke, with all the uncertainty around the league and the stop-start nature due to the pandemic, does that add pressure onto his job? Do you feel like people start looking at him differently instead of this great coach? He's just a coach that had a few good years but never made it. Or do you feel like he gets to pass because of everything that's led up to this playoffs at Disneyland? I think given the circumstances, it really just, I guess it depends on how bad of a choke we're talking about. You know, it, some of it is just players not performing. If it's a coaching situation where Brad Stevens is notorious for this, for waiting too long to take a timeout, and all of a sudden you've dug yourself into a hole where you're down by, you know, 15 points and it could have been avoidable if you took a timeout, you know, a minute and a half earlier. Those, those kind of moments are where Brad Stevens gets the most flack. I feel is when he doesn't take timeouts when you should, doesn't reset um, experiments with lineups too much, doesn't give enough playing time to a certain player and that causes issues. So fortunately for this team, you know, it's not a situation that you're looking at with uh, Terry Rozier being unhappy. I think, you know, we talked about that before with the Carson Edwards situation. I think those situations are a little bit different because Terry Rozier has shown that he was a capable starter, whereas we hadn't seen that from Carson. But there's not as many egos in the room. It seems like it's a lot of cohesion. It's a lot of good, you know, teammates, good championship build in terms of everyone's on the same page. So if they still are all on the same page, and they end up falling short, and it's because of a coaching decision, yeah, I think Brad Stevens will get a lot of media heat. I don't know how much internal pressure or internal flack will come from that. I don't think his job would be at risk. But at the end of the day, Celtics are about championship. You know, that's what we do in Boston. That's what it's really about is winning championships, winning titles. And right now at this point in time, you know, outside of the Lakers and outside of the Bucks. I really don't think there is a surefire contender. I think the Clippers are very, very close. I think the Clippers are in that upper echelon because of the names they have. But we've also seen games where they've just gotten completely blown out by. And every team is capable of getting blown out on any given night. That's why you got to show up and play. But with the Celtics situation, I think up until this past season, this past playoff run with Kyrie Irving and how, you know, they had that, weird sweep of the Pacers, but not as convincing as it could have been to getting just completely wrecked by the Bucks. You have to look at that situation and say, how much of that was the players? How much of that was Brad Stevens? Brad Stevens as a coach has improved year by year in the playoffs. We were minutes away from the NBA finals, whether they would have won it or not, or even been able to compete is a completely different conversation, but the fact is, is that he's improved year to year. So with the egos out of the room, with Kyrie out of the situation, I do want to see what Brad Stevens does here. If they're able to make a deep playoff run, 
and they fall short and it's, you know, maybe it's because of injuries or maybe it's because, you know, dude's fitnesses aren't good because of the situation with COVID, you know, that's one thing. But if it's coaching decisions that cause the fail, I think either way he's going to take heat, but if it's really like a coaching decision or lack of decisions that he makes in the game, then yeah, he's going to take a lot of heat. And I don't know if that's right, but that's what it is in this business. You know, you get a limited amount of time and if you aren't able to do something in it, you get the boot. And let's look at it from the flip side. What happens if his coaching decisions directly correlate to the Celtics winning a chip or making the finals with this team? Do you feel like an extension gets offered out towards Brad? Does that increase the likelihood that he spends even longer in Boston? Because I feel like they're working towards a dynasty in Boston and Brad Stevens has been instrumental in building that team. He's, for me, he's a fantastic player development coach and I want everyone to know that's listening. These are all what ifs. These aren't our like, true feelings on the players. This is just looking at things from a step removed. But if Brad was to guide this team to a finals or even further and guide them to a chip, which I feel like Boston are capable of just because of the amount of pressure they can put on guys off ball due to, the, due to having that big five, is... Does he get signed for? Does he get like another five-year extension added onto that contract? I think yes, especially if you look at the situation with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum gets that extension. I think Brad Stevens gets that extension. I think oftentimes when you look at players and the way that they develop, a lot of players, such as Giannis, for example, Giannis's situation. I don't know if he develops into the player that we know today if he wasn't in Milwaukee if he wasn't a product of his environment, if he wasn't put in that situation where he had to prove himself in order to develop and grow, I think the same can be said about Jason Tatum. I don't know if Jason Tatum ends up the player that he is or being pushed the way he is unless he ends up in Boston. I think a lot of people talk about what ifs, oh, this player got missed in the draft by this team. I still don't think, I don't think coaches and organizations get enough credit for that. So with that being said, if you look at where the Celtics have gone and even with the playoffs and everything that have happened in the past, like 15 to 20 years, they've, I think they've missed the playoffs like once or twice. And they had one year in their rebuild. As soon as Brad Stevens got hired, they missed the playoffs one year. And that year they ended up drafting Marcus Smart six overall. And since that point, they have never missed the playoffs since. So that just goes to show like how they've improved incrementally. If you look at the record, it's clear they have pr- improved incrementally. You know, this past year, this past season that we had was really an outlier. We had a lot of internal issues in that locker room. And a lot of that, there should be heat on Brad Stevens for how to manage those egos. But at the same time, when you look at that situation with Kyrie, that whole situation with Kyrie impacted the situation with Rozier. Rozier's situation impacted the entire play of the bench. And then you have other guys who were the grizzled vets. You had issues with Marcus Morris. So at the end of the day, it's a matter of you as a coach being able to handle all of those egos and make it work. So that being said, you have a lot of big names in the room right now. You know, you added a brand new all-star guard in Kemba Walker, you've got Gordon Hayward finally back to 100% or what we believe to be 100%. So if he manages to make a deep playoff run with this team and everyone's on the same page and you don't see ego and anger boil over and you see that kind of leadership that you want, you have that kind of camaraderie that you missed before, 
I think that really does pay credence more to Brad Stevens and his ability to coach. I think that pretty much wraps us up. We didn't touch on Kemba Walker going crazy, but Kemba Walker's a max contract player. So if Kemba Walker goes crazy, that's because that's what he's meant to be doing. I also want to see Kemba Walker go crazy simply because he deserves a chance to compete towards the finals after all the years in Charlotte. I really am looking for, and I've been looking forward to this for since the minute he entered Boston. I am really looking forward to playoff Kemba. I'm interested to see how it's going to pan out in Disney just because I feel like that entire environment is going to be weird. They're talking about bringing in like 2k to bump in noise to bump in crowd noise. So did you see what they did in Korea for a baseball game in Korea? They all the pop-ups. They had like the, like the cutouts of people sitting in the stands. Now they're doing one way. They just filled the stadium with stuffed teddies. (laughs) And I was like, that is, that is phenomenal uh, craftsmanship. Like that'd be cool. You got the care bears watching you play baseball. (laughs) <laughs> it should be a bunch of like Mickey Mouse and like random Disney characters. M I C K E U I M O U S C. Yeah, I watch that all the time when my little one was younger. I think that pretty much wraps us up for today. We're going to be doing a few of these random different podcasts over the next week or so while we kind of wait for the season to restart. We've put the draft talk on hold a little bit now because we've got real basketball to focus on. I'm looking forward to coming up with some crazy ways to come up with ideas about what's going to happen. This one felt very natural. There's a lot of what-ifs surrounding the league at the moment. So there's also a lot of what-ifs surrounding the team. So this felt like a good way to kind of start easing back into general basketball talk. And we will catch you again on Wednesday. Tim will be here. Tim will definitely be here. I'm always here. He'll be here for you. He'll be here for you. <laughs> I've started singing. It's time to go. Oh, yeah. So we'll make it a wrap. 